millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So next question. Um, will you marry me? <laughs> I'll think about it. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. I come before you today and ask for your support. Will you be my wife and partner? She said yes! Congratulations to Ariana and Shane! ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and little audio love nests we find all over the world. We listen to everything we can get our ears on and then bring you the best of what we hear each week. You're crying because you don't want to marry her? Yes. Why don't you want to marry her? Because I don't want her to. I still want to marry you. Any decision that comes with the tagline, till death do us part, is bound to feel a little weighty. As in, one teeny choice, one yes or no, that will affect you every single day for the rest of your life. But as you might guess, people say yes to the dress for a lot of reasons. Some carefully considered, some impulsive, and many in between. I once knew a woman whose boyfriend proposed in the car on route to a weekend away. When she told me the story of their engagement, she exclaimed, can you imagine how awkward the weekend would have been if I'd said no? Today on ReSound, I do. Or do I? The calculus for marriage from two different women in two vastly different cultures, for better and for worse. Saudi Arabia is one of the most restrictive countries in the world for women. They aren't allowed to go out uncovered, they're legally prohibited from driving, and cannot open a bank account without permission from a male guardian. As a result, we don't often get to hear their voices in the American media. But a few years ago, Radio Diaries teamed up with Cowbird, a storytelling website, and held a competition to find a fresh voice. They discovered Mejd Abdulkhani, a Muslim teenager in Riyadh, a young woman under pressure from her parents to consider an arranged marriage. This is her story. Hello, listener. <clears throat> this is Mejd. I live in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and I turned 19 today. Oh, okay, that's my alarm. I think I'm asleep. It's 6.45. I'm just here in my room, and I'm about to do my morning stretches. I like to count in Japanese when I do them. Ni san go rock sech hatch. 
Okay, I'm done. I'm going to introduce my family to the mic and you to the family. There's my immediately older brother's room to the left. Hi, Mohanad. Can I interview you? Can you talk about your work? Uh, work is great. Go. Hi. I have four brothers. I'm the only girl. And now I'm passing the family sitting room. We have two big bookcases because my parents have all kinds of books. We're a family that loves reading. So now I'm in the kitchen with my brother, my younger brother. Ma'ad, what are you eating? Is this cornflakes? Nodding. They don't hear nodding. You have to say yes. In Arabic, it's cornflakes. Cornflakes. My mom is here. <laughs> Something funny just happened, and my mom just told me about it. She got a call from some guy's mother, and she said that, you know, we heard you have a beautiful daughter, and we, we want to get her son married to her. My mom, she says her first instinct was to tell her, no, my daughter is too young, and just try to end the call as soon as possible. But she said, I stopped myself because I felt like I need to acknowledge that you're growing up. And she told the mother that she can come over on Monday or Tuesday. So I told her, you know, listen, my mom, the chance that I will agree to this person is 0.0000001%. I have my purse, I have my phone, I have my book. Okay, I'm putting on my abaya. It's all black. I put on before I leave the house. And I'm wearing my naqab. It's this fabric that covers my face except my eye area. So I'm hoping it's not masking my voice or anything. It sounds counterintuitive, but for me at least, it's kind of liberating. It gives me such anonymity. Nobody knows who the hell I am. So, bye for now. <laughs> okay, I'm recording in the college at King Saud University. I'm a bachelor student of clinical lab sciences. The campus is really new. Basically, a lot of grass and a lot of palm trees. The male campus has been there since forever. And now they move the female campus next to it. There's not a single man on campus. And if they are, they're in, like, in basements and they have a special entrance. So you never run into them. That's why I can laugh as loudly as I want and I can not wear abaya and I can look as pretty as I want. In the university, it's just me being me. I'm here with my friend. <laughs> They're distrustful somewhat of the microphone. It's professional, dude. Bye bye. You know, it's the norm for girls to study now. It's not strange, it's not a big deal. What I want to do in life is I want to be a scientist, I want to get a master's. And then I want to get a PhD. And then I want to do a postdoc. This is my life plan.
orange juice, please. Fresh water. Hi, it's me again. The date is December 2nd. And we're at a steakhouse. Outback. It's a steakhouse called Outback. No, no, it's an uh, Australian chain. It's called Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> okay, I'm with Majid, my oldest brother. I just ordered um, grilled salmon. And Majid, what did you order? Chicken fried chicken, which is a bit redundant. Uh, we're sitting in the family section of the restaurant. It's part of the separating the sexes a little bit. So, do you mind if I do an interview with you? Uh, okay. Oh, so, how do you see your role as my brother? Like, what do you think your responsibilities are toward me? The responsibilities are many, but to sum up, if your father, my father, may God forbid, dies, then I will be the one who's in charge, what they call it in Arabic, the wali, the... Guardian, the guardian. Yeah. Just um, intervention for me. Male guardianship is like a thing in Saudi Arabia. So, for example, as a Saudi woman, you have to get permission to go to university or get married. It's one of the things we have to deal with. Anyway, back to the interview. So, yeah, what do you want me to do in the future? You? Yes, me. To be a great mom. And to have a great uh, husband. Yep, yep. So when do you think I should get married? You should get married now. Now? <laughs> you are capable of getting married, so you should get married now, yeah. I will, inshallah, I will be capable in three or four years as no, well. No, 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 you are now capable. Yes, and I was capable last year too. Yes, so you, miss, you are missing a lot of great opportunities. Actually, I think I will miss great opportunities if I do get married. I feel like if I get married, I have to be responsible towards my husband. And so that would stop me from doing the things I want to do. Being responsible for your husband is just very marvelous that you can, <laughs> you will forget everything else. <laughs> okay, wow. We're moving on. Um, do you have any questions for me? Yeah. Go ahead. When you will start covering yourself properly? I already am. So sometimes you're covering your face, sometimes not covering, sometimes. So it's a bit like hypocrisy or? No, it's not. I usually cover my face. Like when I, feel, when I have makeup on or when I'm going out and there are a lot of men in the place where I'm going, I cover my face. But sometimes I don't feel like it's needed. So subjective. Yes. What's the problem with that? Not what I think, what the Prophet and what the Quran tell you to do and to cover. <laughs> we, we both know there are a lot of opinions on this by the scholars, so you can't just... Now, according to the majority of the scholars, you should cover your body, excluding maybe, I could say, your hands, and maybe one hole for your eye, yeah. One hole for the eye? <laughs> what is this? I would trip over everything. Oh, please. You would never say this if I weren't recording. You know that. You're trying to shock people. Anyway, do you have any last things to add? Um, why you ask a lot of questions? <laughs>
I feel like since I'm recording this to an American radio show, I should explain that over here, um, when you're young, like you might grow up with a lot of guy friends as a little kid, but then one day you're supposed to start detaching yourselves from them, not seeing them anymore because now you have to cover up from them. I mean, I remember even with my cousin, when I was little, I would see him every day. And we used to kind of play our own games and stuff, sneak food to each other. It was fun. <laughs> and then one day, his voice was thick, my chest was bigger, and all of a sudden, you're not friends anymore. You only say, hi, how are you? And that's as far as it goes. It was like game over. It's been a really busy couple of weeks. And right now I'm in the gym, in the female gym where I take my karate classes. There are seven of us in the class. There are so few girls in Saudi Arabia who do karate. We're like the secret club. <laughs> We're like fight club. <laughs> When I'm practicing karate, I don't even think about anything else. Just turning myself the right way and breathing the right way and delivering efficient speed with the move. But mostly, I, I love how it makes me feel better about myself. Anyway, the reason I was recording is because I want to rant a little bit. My dad seems to want me to stop taking karate classes. He's been saying that for a long time, but last night he was, uh, like, more insistent than usual. And he said, karate, it's just not natural. He probably thinks it's going to throw my femininity out the window or something. I don't know. And my mom doesn't like it either because I've been doing push-ups, so my arms are a little more toned now. My parents, what they want me to do is sit in the kitchen and learn how to cook for a future husband that I don't even know if I'm going to get married to. And that really, really annoys me. I don't want to be cooped up in the house. I want to be able to walk alone in the street and laugh loudly with my friends and not worry about how it looks or being able to breathe because I have to wear my niqab. I love... I love... I love Saudi. It's, it's my, it sounds corny, but it's my country. It's where I was born and where I was raised, you know, all that cliche stuff. But I just, I don't want to be here right now. Okay, hi. I started this recording because I wanted to record myself while I'm packing. Oh, I don't know how many I buy to take. Two or three, two or three. Um, two. It's been a year since I started recording this. And I can't believe this is happening. I'm not actually crying, but this is just my very happy voice. <laughs> Basically, okay, yeah, let's keep all the gory details. I have graduated as a clinical lab scientist. And before I start my internship, 
I'll be going to a genetics lab, the King Abdullah University for Science and Technology, which is like, it's a really prestigious university here. So I'm supposed to leave tomorrow. And the university is on the coast next to Jeddah in a city called Thuwal. And I'll be traveling on my own, which not a lot of women do. And my dad called me. He was like, you know, when you get on the plane, make sure you do not sit next to a man. And I was like, okay, yeah, don't worry. Oh, I need flip-flops. Okay. I'll only be going for two months, but I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, bye. Hi, this is Mesh. And yesterday I turned 20. I'm really glad I'm not a teenager anymore. I'm just gonna put on my gloves. Right now I'm working in the lab, a genetics lab. It's crazy how much I love looking under the microscope. You know, this is inside of us. This is what is happening inside my body. And this is what's making me who I am. What's the status on the kids' proteins? We need to quantify them. I am working with Philip, a man who is a PhD at the lab. Can you explain briefly what we're doing? We're comparing several methodologies to isolate DNA, RNA, and proteins. This is a mixed university, and the rules that apply to the rest, or to most of Saudi Arabia, don't apply here. So you're recording our experiments? Yes. Will it work? Will it not? Yep. Stay with us. Tune in. At After the break. <laughs> I don't mind being in an environment where there are men, but it's strange for me. There are lines, obviously, that I don't cross. I didn't shake hands with them. I made sure we didn't have any physical contact. Um, in terms of my family, they've accepted the fact that, like, this is my field of work, and so they they trust me. Uh, there we go. Philip, yeah. it's gonna work. Yeah. Inshallah. It will. Seriously, it's going to work. Hello? Hello, Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Alhamdulillah, I'm on a video call with my parents. Okay, what do my mother is saying that there's another person who wants to get married to me. In the past year, I got two proposals, I think. My mom says he's uh, very well-mannered and polite. His uh, professor sees him in the mosque. And then um, she handed me over to my dad. Oh, my dad said, you know, his dad is a professor of bacteriology. Bacteriology, that's so cool. Well, I just might marry him just for his father. So I asked my mom how she feels. She says, um, there's nothing that, that I would love more than for you to be with me forever and not get married at all. But you have to, you know, it's how, it's how life goes. So we'll just make sure that he's the right person. <laughs> okay. I'm probably going to say no. But 
I feel like there's a 1% chance that I'll change my mind. So I agreed to meet him in a few months. This is Mesht. It's been a couple of months since I last recorded. I'm back home, and it's uh, the 13th, I think, of Ramadan, and it's Friday. And I'm here with my sister-in-law, Raghad, who's my brother's wife, you know, my brother Majid. We're just sitting in my room, and I thought I would <laughs> record her. How are you? She's asking me if it's okay to laugh, and I told her to just treat it like a normal conversation. So I asked her what her advice for me was in regards to marriage. She said, my advice is that if a good guy proposes who follows his religion correctly and has good manners that you agree. She asked me if I actually want to get married. She says, I feel like you're really scared of marriage. I told her, well, yeah, I am really scared and I feel like I like my alone time and I can't imagine being really you know, chilling in my room and and somebody coming to me and asking me to cook for him. <laughs> she says, well, yeah, that. She says, I used to feel the same way you do, that it's really scary and that it's so difficult. But thank God, it wasn't as hard as she thought it would be. She says that at first it's a little strange because you don't know that person, but as days go on, you get to know him better. Both of you, you get used to each other and end up loving each other. And right then we were interrupted because Majid and my dad came in. So here's what happened. I met the guy who proposed to me. I don't want to say his name. I'll just refer to him as the guy. I really like the fact that the English language has the word guy, you know? It's like you don't have to say boy and you don't have to say man. You can say the guy. Anyway, the guy and his dad came. They were sitting in the men's section of the house. My mother and I... We were peeking through the door, but it was still too far to hear much. So we called my brother and we told him to keep his phone on speaker. And we muted the phone from our end so that we can hear them and they can't hear us. (laughs) Trust me, all families do that, okay? It's not just us. And then finally, they said, it's time. My mom tried to fix my hair and I said, no, just let me be. So I walked in. I thought he was pretty cute, actually. (laughs) He made eye contact, proper eye contact. And he said, how are you? And I said, I was good. And I said, how are you? And he said he was fine. So he asked me first, what are my interests? I was like, I like genetics and I like karate. And he didn't seem to mind, you know. 
which is good. My dad asked him how much of the Quran he has memorized. And the guy said, I try to read the chapter every day, but I have a problem with memorizing things even when I was in university. My dad was like, well, you know, Majd has won many competitions in Quran recitation memorization. And I was like, dad, that was a long time ago. And then my dad was like, Majd, do you have any questions for him? So I asked the guy, what do you want to achieve in life? He was like, I want to change the way energy is used in Saudi Arabia. He said, we use a very old system and I want to invent something. I looked at him and I was like, yeah, nice. That's a good answer. And he was like, what about you? And I told him, I want to prove that being a Muslim Saudi woman who wears a headscarf, it doesn't stop me from being a scientist. And his eyes shone a little bit. You know, it was a good feeling. Hi, it's me again. It's 10 minutes to 3 in the morning. I'm in my room listening to songs and I can't sleep. Truthfully, this is embarrassing. I've just been thinking about love, you know, if I'll ever have a go at it. My potential future fiancé. He seems like a nice guy, a good guy. But I don't want to get married. Marriage is so much more than that. It's so much more. Like, you have to listen to what your husband says. It's a religious requirement. And even though I know that since God said it, then it's for the best, it's hard for me to comply with that. I just, I want to love someone and to have somebody love me back. But... Don't want to be 20 years old and married. I'm too young for that. <sighs> Good night, I guess. It's <laughs> <laughs> my cousin is angry because I don't want to put a lot of makeup on when I want something really Liar. soft. <laughs> a lot has happened in the past few weeks. I said yes. Yeah, congratulations, my love. Thank you. <laughs> Today, I will be married. I, I feel good about this. I do. I, I wouldn't say I'm completely sure yet because I still have only met him face to face twice. And one of them was like for two seconds. But he's so supportive of everything I want to do. And there's this thing he said. He asked me what I was scared of. And I said, a failing. I really want to make a difference, to change something. And I told him that in all probability, I won't. And he said, 
we'll push each other to the top. And that stuck with me. My mother just came. People are starting to arrive and I'm so nervous. I am so nervous. I'm going to go downstairs now. Oh God. A year ago, if you had told me, I would have thought, me, getting married, no way. There's a verse in the Quran about the idea of nasib, which according to Google Translate means share. Like these are my shares in life. Being a Saudi Arabian, being a Muslim, this is my nasib. This is what's written for me, and this is God's plan for me. This is my fate. <laughs> my dad told me that nasib is 80%, and your choices are 20%. In the end, we really don't control a lot of what happens around us. But at the same time, God gives us the freedom of choice. And I... I think I made the right choice. Okay. I think that's it. This is Mejd. Bye. Originally, this is where Mejd ended her story. But then she decided she wanted to interview one more person before her story would be complete. Hi. This is Mejd. And I'm here with Anmar, my... <laughs> you could say he's my husband um, and I'm about to interview him <clears throat> okay <clears throat> so what has it been like getting to know me I've never had like I never talked to a girl like this mm. the only interaction was in work or maybe just passing by it's been amazing do you think our marriage would be different than most Saudi marriages? I think so, yeah. Why? Like, what's the role of the wife? I don't like it when a husband just tells his wife, go cook something. <laughs> Ugh, I hate that too. Yeah. Oh my God. What I want is more of a partnership. Okay, good. But you wouldn't say that we're, that in the end you get mm. to decide... No. If we ever disagree. No, I think you'll be the one who decides. <laughs> Why do you think that? You're stronger than me. What do you mean I'm stronger than you? What does that mean? I know. You, you when you argue, you're a good debater. <laughs> do I scare you when I... <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> um, for me, the day we signed the marriage contract, it was the start of getting to know you for real. And... I never thought I would meet someone like you, Anwar. Yeah, I I think I made the right choice by choosing to marry you. Do you think you made the right choice? Yes. <laughs> I'm really hungry for pizza now. <laughs> okay, bye. Mejd's Diary, Two Years in the Life of a Saudi Girl, was produced by Joe Richman and Sarah Kramer for Radio Diaries. 
She and her husband are now living in the United States, where Mejd is pursuing a master's degree in genetics. She also recently earned her blue belt in karate. I mean, I think it's just one of those moments where you just know it's over. Coming up after the break, love American style. When things fall apart, a heart breaks, a couple splits, and a podcast results. Stay with us. You love listening to great stories, right? Well, how would you like to get the inside scoop on how they're made from your favorite writers, hosts, and producers? Dear listeners, Third Coast is here for you. We have just launched a brand new podcast, the Third Coast Pocket Conference, where you can hear the glitterati of public radio, like NPR's Audie Cornish. My experience of good radio is that, like, a lot of work goes into the lightest-sounding stuff. The more it sounds like, ha-ha-ha, and I had another thought, the longer it takes. The Third Coast Pocket Conference also features the pioneers of podcasting, like Reply All's PJ Vote. The way we start any story is we start to think about, like, this doesn't make a lot of sense but I can make it make sense. So like the stories that we love the most are stories that we know very little about what they're gonna be when we start them. Or maybe we think we do, but we're wrong. It's all there for you to explore when you want, where you want. Listen and learn with the best and the brightest. I'm gonna play you guys some bad tape. You can hear me trying to do stuff that's not gonna work. Subscribe to the Third Coast Pocket Conference in your podcasting app of choice. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Marriage is a voluntary state for both men and women. So it's a game. It's called Tinder. Chad wasn't looking for a miracle. He was looking for a wife. So you see pictures of girls. There's a red X and a green heart. And this is how it works. And he chose carefully, without help, as he does most things. And then there will be other photos to tell me yay or nay. Chad didn't choose for money, for connections, or even because she seemed the most wonderful girl on earth. So do I like this girl? Not really. So I'm going to click no. 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 He did it with a sense of being responsible for it. No. Trying to know as many facts as possible. Still nothing. No. And then acting with faith. No. In himself no. and in her. Mm, okay. No. No. Freedom of choice. No. No. It's a modern privilege. Nope. 
No. The modern no. responsibility. No. No. I was getting into it. Sorry. Welcome back to Resound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. As you know, here at Third Coast, we listen to a lot of audio. But when we heard Medjd's diary, we were a little stumped as to what to pair it with, even though we sort of consider ourselves to be sonic sommeliers. Then we remembered a story that we loved that was actually the polar opposite. Instead of an arranged marriage, it dealt with the challenges of finding love with no arrangement, no guidelines, just a million faces swiping by on Tinder. That story was produced by Andrea Salenzi for her podcast, YOY, a show about relationships. Now, before you listen, we have to tell you that YOY went on hiatus for a time while Andrea was producing The Gist with Mike Pesca. And now she's back, and with the help of the Panoply Podcast Network, telling her unique brand of personal stories. This episode is called How Will I Know? When we moved in together, sharing a closet was charming. I took up more of it than you did, pushing your dress shirts into the back corner. I folded our towels together, mixed up our pillowcases, smelled the salty sunscreen on our favorite beach blanket. Sometimes you'd find me in there, standing in my underwear, taking my time getting dressed, and you'd keep me in there, late to work. Your hangers were all white and clear, but mine were a bright-colored mess. Some were from my closet growing up, from my first dorm room, mostly plastic, some wood, some just meant for skirts. But after a year in our apartment, the hangers started to mix. I stole your clear hangers with the little strap hooks, or I'd find one of my burnt mustard ones under your green flannel. With every load of laundry, we weaved our lives closer together. And every time I reached for one of your hangers, I'd look at you like, are you sure about this? We haven't talked about my personal life here, but me talking about my life This used to be a big part of the show. That was three years ago, when I started this podcast as a volunteer at a community radio station, this wonderful place called WFMU. Back then, I was so single. It was all I could talk about. Who will love Andrea? Isn't that what her show is about? Not really, no. Who will love me? (laughs) Isn't Isn't that the name of her show? Why do you ask her when she gets here? That's really insulting. Well, <laughs> her show is not Who Will Love Me? <laughs> Reducing it to this pathetic thing. <laughs> Those are my fellow DJs, Ken and Andy. They're teasing, but they were also right. But then, after I started this podcast, everything changed. I was invited on an NPR show called Planet Money to get dating advice from an economist. It was this guy, Tim Harford. Our next guest, Tim, we brought in in person because she's got some some things to show you. Uh, Introduce yourself, Andrea. My name's Andrea Salenzi, and I'm the host of a dating podcast called Why a Why. Hi, Andrea. Very nice to meet you. So what can I do for you? I told him I wanted to find a better way to date, that I was sick of wasting a Thursday. That what you really need to be doing 
is finding out a way to have a date-like experience before you have the date. Because the date-like experience is, is what you really need. You don't need to look at a thousand guys online. What you need to do is have five almost dates to save on the actual date, which is the really scarce resource. Is there anything that can like simulate a date or at least a, a real conversation? And then we got this idea. The next time I matched with a guy on Tinder, the plan was to ask him to go on a Skype date with me. Wouldn't it be interesting to find the guys who would actually accede to that request? Hey. Hi. Oh. <laughs> Hold on a second. This is How so weird. Yeah, hey, it's your idea. <laughs> no, it's an economist idea, but it was my idea to take dating advice from an economist. <laughs> so I kind of screwed this up. So that's Mike, who became my boyfriend. The first conversation we ever had was recorded for the show. I even put sentimental music under it. That's how you know I like him. Um, I feel like I owe you a drink. <laughs> Can I take you out in real life? Sure. Really? Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, yeah, I would love to meet you and like actually like I couldn't hear a lot of what you were saying. Um, so I was like kind of just like maybe not actually answering your questions. But... Our first real date was to a dive bar. I went home with him. And that night he asked if it would bother me if he kept a light on. He was about to finish his book. I remember falling to sleep to the sound of a page turning, knowing that this was unlike anything. Before Mike, I'd never been able to imagine a future with anyone. Or if I did, it looked like a cutaway on the TV show 30 Rock, where this future is somehow an exaggerated caricature of reality. With Mike, the future looked better than anything I'd ever pictured for myself. I didn't think I deserved it. The night we first said I love you, it became an essay I read on the podcast. I don't need the New York Times to fall in love with you. I love you. And one time on the way home from a road trip, we pretended to have a fight for the show. I'm right. not saying like we have to do this. I'm but just saying it's like it? a good idea that right. we should talk about. Yeah. Soon listeners were tweeting me and writing reviews. And some were saying that the show wasn't as good now that Andrea has a boyfriend. But you see, my personal life wasn't mine anymore. Mike and I were moving in together, and there are less stories to call from domestic bliss than from my single angst. I was happy my life was becoming boring, and unless the show wanted to be about recipes for my slow cooker, it was time to turn the focus. That's why, when YOY came to Panoply, I thought that personal storytelling would stay in my past. Remember episode one, the single straight guy focus group? While I was recording it, I remember all the guys kind of looking at me like, what's your deal? My deal was that I was happy to never check Tinder again. I was ready to ask who will love them, not who will love me. The breakup only took 10 minutes. You said, how does a relationship work if you know it's going to end? I said, but what if you change your mind? We'd been having the conversation in different ways for a while, but never this calm. I noticed your fly was down. I patted your knee like a chum. We're not going to make it, are we? Suddenly, we felt like buddies. I went into the next room to try to find a new apartment. 
I emailed a broker, seeking a dog-friendly room to cry in. Crossed out, room to cry in. Wrote in, studio. You came into the study to check on me, and finally noticed your fly. He said, has it been this way the whole time? We were both too sad to laugh. A rash spread around my neck. The movers came. I hugged you in the morning, your body suddenly stiff like an ironing board. I still keep a list on my phone of all the stuff I want to tell you about. Mike and I broke up a week into starting this show. Here to help me explain it is my editor, Hillary Frank. Hey, Andrea. Maybe we, I don't know where this begins. Why don't we just start? Just okay. like tell me, tell me what's going on. Before I start talking with Hillary, I need to take you back in the past to the week Mike and I were getting ready to move in together. That week, Hillary and I recorded a conversation. It was for her parenting podcast, The Longest Shortest Time. And what we did is we recorded a long chat about this phenomenon my friend Holly coined. It's called the reverse timeline. It's basically this. Once a woman decides she wants to have kids, it changes how she dates. She does this backwards math to determine by what age she should be meeting a lifelong partner. So let's look at my life. Let's say I want to have one kid at the age of 37. I'd want to start trying by 36. And I'd want to know this guy at least five years before doing that. And if marriage turns out to be in the plan, you could imagine two years before you get engaged, one year to be engaged, and then two years of being newlyweds. I see this timeline playing out on my friends' Facebook pages all the time. Don't you? So for me, that age was meet him by 30, 31. But for some reason, that whole chat, I couldn't be clear with Hillary about that plan. Here's how she describes it. You kind of froze. I think of you as a person who you're generally pretty forthcoming and you're like not shy around a mic and I couldn't get anything out of you. And then I remember this question she asked me. It was like a bell going off in my head. I suddenly knew what was holding up my decision. Here's the audio we recorded that day. It was recorded over a year ago. It's in the past. Do you feel like if he had his mind made up, it would be easier for you? Yeah, 100%. Because then I know, yeah, then I know. You think if he said, I definitely want kids, would you yes. be on board with that? <laughs> yeah, I would be like, great, me too. I've always known this. And that's when I realized that Mike had become so important in my life that I was afraid to say out loud if a kid was in my plan. Because what if it wasn't in his plan? I didn't know his plan. So let's go now to my chat with Hillary. We're back in present day. And I asked her how she and her husband knew about kids. Oh, I've never told this this publicly before. So I always knew I loved babies. I'm a baby person. I will grab the baby and just like hold it and play with it for a very long time. And I think people thought that that meant I wanted a baby. But no, I just have a good time with babies. <laughs> and so I was like, I think I want to be a mom one day, but timing, who knows? You know, do I really feel like I must have one? I don't, I don't know. Um, and then when I was dating 
the man who is my husband and the father of my child, he came to visit. We were living in Chicago. He came to visit New York with me. My family's here in New York. And my cousin had just had a baby girl. And he did the thing where he was like, give me that baby. I want to hold that baby. (laughs) And it's because he has he's the only child of his parents, but he has a lot of half siblings and they're all much younger than him. And so he grew up with babies around who he was kind of more like an uncle to most of them. And so it was very natural for him to just go in and do this role. And I saw him holding the baby and I was like, this man knows how to hold a baby. Like in a way that I had never seen before in somebody my age. And then your ovaries just dropped 100 eggs. I think so. Um, But we didn't, I mean, after that, we didn't actually have a baby for many years. We were always like, must get careers in order before we do this. And the careers were not in order when we did it. And I think it was just like, I got to a certain age and, and like in my early 30s and was seeing friends have miscarriages. And I was like, I don't want to wait so long that we don't even know what our fertility situation is. And then it could be too late to really figure it out. So by the time I was 32, I was like, let's just start trying. If the career stuff will happen at some point, let's just let's just do this. And it felt so scary but it felt like the thing we had to do. I'm amazed by how many people get married without knowing. It's like a scary thing to talk about because it can end in a breakup. I think we were so unsure that we would even get to the point of having to make that decision that we didn't feel like we had to talk about it. And we went on to live together without really having that conversation. So all I had in my head were these two little half conversations that we'd had over the course of dating. And the first one, we were at a bar and I said, let's just talk about it. Do you want to have kids someday? And he's like, I think I'd like to be a father to a son. And he could picture himself playing ball with the son, being the assistant coach on a team. And that was a really cool image. And I was thinking, that's my plan. I'll have one son someday. Then We were on vacation, and we saw a kid learning how to snorkel with his dad. And Mike kind of looked at me and said, oh, it would be fun to teach a kid how to swim. So now I'm picturing our son, and he's playing baseball with Mike, and we're taking him on vacation with us and teaching him how to swim. I'm just going to break in here and give you guys some more details. I hear from a lot of couples that the way they talk about the kid decision can be in these little asides. So I remember taking these little stories and giving them a lot of weight in my mind. They were all I knew about where Mike was coming from. Until this night, when we were out to dinner for our second anniversary. And we're sitting right in front of some birthday cake. I don't know why. It's like a kid's birthday cake like my mom used to make with white frosting and, like, rainbow sprinkles. And it's a fancy Italian restaurant. Local Brooklyn actors are often seen at, but it's like this very childish birthday cake and we're sitting right in front of it and we kind of sit down excitedly we know we're going to order it like um, the cake, where is the cake it's like behind a we're like sitting at the bar okay yeah and it's like right on the other side of the bar okay it's probably not an essential detail at all i just know it was like all i could stare at because we were sitting there talking and very casually mike says oh yeah i figured out 
my decision on the kid thing, definitely never want to have kids. He just said it out of the blue like that. Yeah, it hadn't registered to him that it was almost him telling us we were breaking up. Had you ever expressed to him that you really wanted a kid? I liked having it on the table for a thing that I could think about, but I hadn't. I hadn't been as clear with him up until then. So for him saying that, he had no idea that it was going to hit me like that. Mm-hmm. So what did you say? I mean, I think it's just one of those moments where you just know it's over. Yeah. I tried to tell him about the snorkeling. <laughs> You just know that that fantasy is, like, that whole plan is. just not going to happen. You can't convince someone to have a kid with you. Not if they don't want to. There's nothing I could say. I could, I mean, I could have tried to spend all night just being like, what about baseball? What about snorkeling? What about being a family? And I would say things like, well, what are we going to, what goes in that place? But if you don't want to have a kid, you don't need something to go in that place. Like, I'm the only one who felt like something would be empty. Is that the moment when you realized that you wanted it? Yeah. Yeah, I want to make birthday cake for someone. (laughs) Is that why the birthday cake stood out to you? Like well, it, it was it just sad because we were like celebrating our anniversary and then the cake comes out and it's just like there's nothing to celebrate anymore. Oh, you had ordered the cake. Yeah, it was on and, the way. Yeah. By the end of the dinner, had you decided that you were going to end it? At that moment in my life, he was the person who knew me better than anyone. I was closer to him than every member of my family. We had an apartment we loved together. We... My dog loves him. You know, we had this life that I'd never been happier. So how do you step out of that for this vague idea of having a son someday? I didn't want to have to know that I wanted it that bad yet. Is that the longest relationship you've ever been in? I don't know if the length of time matters. I think it's I've never met another person that I loved as much, like on this whole planet. What did you love about him? Um, I don't know. I think I'm just like spending all my time trying not to think about those things. Uh, Yeah. Um, What do you, why, (laughs) why do you want the audience to know about this? This whole summer, I was really excited to do this show while in a relationship, (laughs) but now All the anxiety of being single is coming back, and now it's my job to talk about what it is to be single is how it feels. Yeah. You can choose when you're willing to feel vulnerable on your own show because that's empowering. But feeling like you have to show every moment where you're vulnerable is not empowering. So you got to pick and choose. What about this moment? I was filling out a form, and it said, reason for moving. (laughs) And I just wrote in all caps, my boyfriend doesn't want to have kids with me. You did that. I erased it. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's pretty good material. My last night in our old apartment, you told me you'd signed up again for Tinder. Because, and I tried to fill in your sentence here, you wanted to know if you could ever feel this way again? No, you told me. I wanted to see if I still had it. Oh, right. Here inside my new apartment, I restarted my old Tinder account. I swiped no on everyone until I found you. Your face, your smile, the shirt you chose to wear. It took a long time, but I made my decision. How Will I Know was produced by Andrea Salenzi for her relationship podcast, Why Oh Why. To hear more stories from Andrea, like Alone Forever, Dudes in Bars, or Hacking the Uterus 2.0, visit her website, yoyradio.com. In some parts of the world, saying I do is still out of the bride's control, which inevitably leads to a lot of mixed emotions. The Paiwanese people of southern Taiwan celebrate a marriage with songs full of mournful tears. From the French online station Arte Radio, here is The Wedding Song by producer Yen Ting Shu. In the south of Taiwan lives an indigenous group of people called the Paiwan. They still maintain some aspects of the tribal life. I was in the village of Liangshan in Pingdong County. singing a song for the wedding of a princess. A farewell to beautiful youth. Princess may be married to someone she doesn't love in order to maintain her noble identity. So, this is why they cry as they sing. They all sing and they all cry.
You've been listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxai. The program is produced by Dennis Funk and curated by Johanna Zorn and Maya Goldberg-Safer of the Third Coast Festival. Isabel Vasquez is our production assistant. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear more than 2,000 outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcast. Support for ReSound comes from Emma, a web-based email marketing and communication service helping businesses and nonprofits manage their email campaigns and online surveys in style. More at myemma.com. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Agadino Foundation, the Monaki Foundation, and the National Endowment for the Arts. The Third Coast Festival, now an independent arts organization, was originally founded at WBEZ Chicago. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. You can also connect with us through Facebook and Twitter. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.